Hello, I'm David Sanborn, and welcome to As We Speak. On this episode, I talk with vocalist Cecile McLaurin-Solvant about her visual art, her storytelling, and her beautiful record, Melusine. This new recording is just extraordinary. Oh, thank you. It's so engaging. I think the gravitational pull of the way you ordered the music and how you paced it was really powerful. And then when I read the story that Melusine and how that was kind of the organizing principle for all of it, uh, it made it even more astounding to me. And uh, the fact that you drew songs uh, from everywhere in your your past, Baroque songs, even earlier than Baroque, uh, like 12th century, 13th century stuff. Yeah, yeah. And that you kind of seamlessly integrated them into not only a, an oral whole, but you made it a part of the storyline, which is just brilliant. So there's so many different levels. One one of the ways you described it was a reckoning. Like, you know, what is my history? Where do I fit in? And how do I reconcile all these different influences, which are not necessarily related to um, strictly American uh, um, cultural references, cultural context. And uh, I mean, the French and Haitian is your cultural heritage. And uh, yes, uh, one of the things you was funny to me is that you said your sense of humor is different in French than in English. Did that inform the way you proceeded about this record? Or I think so a little bit. I think, you know, it's, it's interesting as somebody who, you know, I started with French at home. French is the language of the home. It's the language of my mom. It's it's maternal, really, for real, you know, for me. Yeah. And uh, it was like our home was this bubble of French and school kind of eventually became that. But I learned English when I went to pre-K. I learned how to speak English outside of the home. So it, English became my language. It was mine. And it was mine to sort of um, correct my parents on their accent or their, you know, like incorrect grammatical choices or like I, I had something that was different from them that I could kind of bring back to the home. I mean, obviously they, they speak English, my parents, but they speak with an accent. There's, there's this, there's this slight disconnect. And I think it's a really specific experience to first generation, second generation immigrants, the thing of like, there's an accent in the home. There's something from somewhere else in the home. And when I go outside and I'm myself and I'm like this independent being um, away from that, I can sort of explore and play with language in that way. And there's also this idea of being a translator, right? And of understanding, I think, and especially also it, it links sort of with the beginnings of, of my um my performance uh, life, you know, the first concerts I ever did were for French speaking audiences who didn't really speak much English, or if they did speak English and didn't understand necessarily all the subtleties of all the little, you know, um, and, and the songs that I choose are always so lyric based, so about the subtleties of language. And so there was this failure of communication and I was failing every time I was singing, I kept failing and failing, you know, I felt like I was bombing. 
around. <laughs> and so that goes back to the humor thing. It's like, yeah. I'm saying these jokes in these songs. I pick these songs because of their humor and their jokes. And it's, I keep bombing. And I got used to that. I got used to it that. It toughens you, doesn't it? It yeah. toughened me. And it also, it also shapes the way that I perform. I mean, um, the, the fact that I perform in such a theatrical way, such a melodramatic, sometimes, you know, uh, sometimes I'm a straight up clown and I'm really big with my, um, with my emotions. It's because I was so used to having to describe things with the face and the hands yeah, and not yeah, the yeah. words and mm-hmm. the, and also the notes, but you know, so, so I think going back to this thing of the language, I mean, I think my personality kind of changes depending on the language because of that like childhood thing of like French is for the home. It's for family. I'm a certain person with my fit. Well, just like everyone, we're a certain person with our families and our home in our home, you know, childhood homes. And then when you go out into the world, you're kind of, you can become someone else. And so that was amplified by by this linguistic thing. Yeah. And uh, it's funny. You said bombing, you know, when you would bomb (laughs) over and over again, I think bombing, yeah, right. <laughs> like there, there's no more instructive uh, thing that can happen to you than getting your ass kicked. Absolutely. You know, I mean, that's what toughens you up. And you go, you go on stage, and you know somebody called. You know, in my case, somebody would call a tune, and I wouldn't know it, but I would have to get through it. And they just, yeah, you know, see the looks on these people's yeah. faces. Like, <laughs> like nothing. You go, yeah. okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm somehow missing things here. You know. Yes. <laughs> uh, I th- th- this once again th- th- this record is just it's such a journey, and I mean there's so much drama in it. You were talking about you know making things bigger, bigger than life in a way to to illustrate it, and there's so much. I mean these songs are about you know love and passion and death and and longing and just this oh, oh this, this <laughs> you know and and there's such deep you know, human, it, it cuts to the core of who we are. And when you, you know, look at all these emotions through different cultural lenses, I think it, it changes your, the, the the way you look at things. And, you, you know, you not only see how different they are, but in, in very important ways, how much this, the same they are. You yes. know, it's, yes. it's just, it's a commonality. And I think that what makes me want to go down the rabbit hole and this these in, in your work is that along the way you just see all these see and feel all these different emotions and you get these different messages and how in a way ambivalent all of these feelings are you know yes. like you know and how how powerful and primal some of these things are you talked about uh i don't remember what it, where i read this but you talked about hearing and performing uh Jelly Roll Morton with the murder ballad. Yeah. Like, and it was just that it, you said you got, you were a little worried about it when you first went on stage to sure. do it. And that yes. because of the language, the language is so raw. The, the Jelly Roll Morton murder ballad I heard for the first time when I was 18 and I was in music school. I I was studying my, my only jazz teacher that I ever had was a man named Jean-Francois Bernard, who's a yeah. clarinet player. Yeah. And saxophone player. Saxophone player, yeah. His his whole teaching method was he would bring a tote bag to class every week, every Wednesday, filled with CDs. He wouldn't say a word. 
wouldn't tell me what to do. He would just say, here, take this, bring it back mm-hmm. next week. And I put mm-hmm. everything in my computer and all the Library of Congress recordings, Jelly Roll Martin were on there. And I heard Murder Ballad and I immediately was struck by it because it was a story. I mean, this was like, this was like a tall tale slash uh, true crime slash like it was juicy. It was like a, listening to an episode of, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, Sopranos or something. It was like a, yeah. a show. And for me who loves, I love shows. I love, I love drama. I love, uh, I love a good storyline. This was the first time I'd heard that in the form of a blues. I know you got my man. I know you got my man. And all of this foul language, all of these, you know, these words that I actually, uh, my my discovery of this music and of American music was coming from a place of thinking that this was a music that was very intellectual, very sophisticated, you know, not, there could never be any kind of bad word and like no, no mention of sense. Like as, as a kid, that's what I thought. I thought jazz was really this clean cocktails, you know, date night, very, very above board, like very. And then as I started really listening to it, I, I got all the punk qualities of it and all the, yeah. you know, the, the kids, the, the, cause these were kids, these were like arty people. And so hearing that language, hearing those words in that context sung by a man, it was just, I was so struck by it. And I thought, I want to do this one day, but I don't know when, and I don't know how. And pretty much 10 years later, I had this gig at Janet Lincoln Center and it was Valentine's Day. And I thought, how funny would it be <laughs> if I did this? <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> Valentine's Day. Valentine's Even better. Day. Just like, <laughs> yeah. drive it home. <laughs> yeah. Just your Drink your blood like wine. And it was really fun and scary. And um, and it got me hooked on this long form storytelling thing, which is why I think I wrote Ogress not very long after that. Right. Because I thought, oh, I want to be singing ca- different characters and I want to be telling this long form story over the course of an evening. This is so much fun. This is so, um, I don't know, it responds to something that I've always wanted. I mean, that's why I wanted to be a classical singer because I wanted to be in character for the entire evening, for the entire performance. And so um, so it opened up stuff like that. And then, and then Medrizine is kind of an extension of that because again, I mean, although it's different songs from different eras, we're still slowly unfolding this story um, over the course of the album. And so, I kind of, yeah, I have to say, I kind of got hooked to, like, okay, how much time do I have? I want to tell one story and I'll have a bunch of little stories within that, but I want an overarching story for that amount of time. If you don't leave my man alone, they'll find you every decoration day. You know, when I heard this record, I thought, okay, this is a logical progression. You know, yeah, and and the fact that it was almost exclusively in French, 
except mm-hmm. for just portions of Bellicine, was was even more profound. Uh, you make everything very intimate, and I think that yeah. quality uh, it permeates th- this whole record. There's a sense of intimacy of like leaning in. I'm going to tell you a story here. Yeah, I'm going to tell you a secret. Yeah, I'm going to tell you a secret. That's yeah. right. And it's like the spilling of secrets. Yes, I think I think Absolutely. you said that, and and, and uh, of things being revealed, and and yeah. you know, infused with that sense, of, it's it's totally riveting as as a listener to hear that. And you know, I mean, I found myself I, always when I listen to records as a musician, there's always that moment where I start breaking it down, like what did they do there? Well, how did they do? Mm. And I there was very little of that on this record. I mean, I can say really little to none. And, and you know, oh, wow. uh, some of my favorite musicians are on this, Sullivan Fortner, who's been your yeah. longtime collaborator. Yes. Just, and it's interesting to me about what he does. He, you know, he's, he's clearly, among other things, a great jazz musician. And he brings elements of jazz into this. And I've heard you do more clearly defined what we would call jazz songs with him mm-hmm. but also he goes all these different places with you yeah and uh it, it's just he brings you know there's a, a sophisticated hard jazz harmony stuff that he brings it but he never breaks character of the song Fusive fan category, just the way you kind of transcend time and place and history, and you pull these things together into this is music that is now, and mm-hmm. um, the the way you've—I don't even want to say updated because that's too small a word. You don't actually update it; you inhabit it, you know, with all the tools that you have at your disposal. Being a a trained classical musician. And, you know, being gifted with this extraordinary instrument, your voice, and and as well applying it through, you know, the, your work ethic is like, I have to take a nap when I read about what everything you've done, you know. Thank you. <laughs> it's just, Thank I mean, you. you. You were, I mean, we talked about this before about your visual art, uh, the, the tap, I don't know what you call them, tapestries, embroideries, I guess. Yeah. You know, yeah. when you say, well, I, you know, downtime in the airport. And, yeah. it's, you know, I'd rather do something creative than, you know, read People magazine, you know. Yeah. Not that there's any well, I'll, read, I'll read that, too. I'll read yeah. that, too. <laughs> yeah. But it's all in service that you you use everything and funnel it through your personality. It all comes out in your art. And I, I think that's um, it's really sweet to say I'm. I I wish that was I wish I agreed. <laughs> I try to do that. I I'll say that that I wish I was that person uh, at the very least. It, that sounds nice. <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes when you're in the midst of it, you don't really see what it is that you're doing and what you know. I mean, because you're in it, you're living this yeah. life. But yeah. then, I mean, I think what makes an artist is that they express their experience of life and the, and living that life through their art. 
Yeah. And I mean, and and it it comes out, you know. I mean, I I look at you, I look at your visual art, and I see, I mean, I hope you forgive me with comparison stuff, but I see elements of, you know, Nikki Saint Fall, uh, Miro, uh, Matisse. Uh, even I love Le, those people, Louise Bourgeois. You know, all oh. these and this idea of floating. You know, these things that are floating, and uh, you know, obviously uh, West Indian and and, and African influence as well so the these figures um i mean it's it's kind of uh it's like you're inventing an aesthetic like this record it's like it's not a jazz record it's not a classical record it's a cecile mclaurin Sylvain record can can i get into the album a little bit with you and just do a, please a, a play by play blow by blow here i would love I, it you know and uh Forgive me, I, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce these. Uh, <laughs> I can um, help. Uh, Les hommes vivants. Those are the last two words in the, in the song title, the first song. And that was, uh, that was uh, Leo Ferre did the music. Yeah, and the text is, is a poem by Louis Aragon. It's, it's, it's an extract of a very long poem by Louis Aragon about uh world war one I, I believe mm -hmm. and just yeah there's a certain kind of mood in that text uh and he he said it to music he actually i think became famous or part of the reason he blew up is because he set these poems to to music i mean and he also wrote beautiful lyrics himself leo ferré but his 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 sort of collaboration with the ahagna texts are, are iconic tout est affaire de décor, changer de lit, changer de corps. À quoi bon puisque c'est encore moi qui moi-même me trahis. And uh, the, the, the other song, the Charles Trenet song, yeah. La Route Enchantée. Yes. I mean, that that's kind of more hopeful. There's a yes. kind of an uplift about it. Where he's dealing with a certain period of time, and I think that in a way kind of differentiates himself from some of the other friends like the chanson the you know the what would you call it the french cabaret they're they're talking about pain and suffering and yes like disease Drugs. And <laughs> yeah and all this stuff you know uh, yes you know he wrote that i think in the late 30s um it's, it's it's from a movie that came out in in 1938 so he probably wrote it in 37 let's just say and I think that's really interesting because what a what a dark and weird time that was in France, you know? Yeah. We're just like at the dawn of a new war after, you know, all the wreckage of a of a war that was, you know, it's just like in between two horrible wars, in between all of this chaos and destruction. And he writes this song that's just kind of a ray of light while everyone yeah. else is writing these songs that are so cynical. I mean, you know, the French part of what I love and hate about uh, the French is that there is sort of a cynicism kind of baked yeah. into the culture, the way of talking. You can never be too earnest or sincere or optimistic. Um, not, not for too long before you get kind of cut down. <laughs> And I say this with love because this yeah. is, you know, this is my family is French, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And I think a song like La Route Enchantée or, um, you know, he wrote La Mer, 
which is, mm, you know, right, somewhere right. beyond the sea, you know, right. and, and it's, it's such a beautiful, sweet kind of, um, optimistic song, but there's something a little sad about it too. Longing. You know, Once again, it's a longing. longing. Exactly. Right. And that one was written in 46 and Meg and- was written in 46. So you, you know, I think, I, I, I mean, those two songs are so linked to war to me. Uh, which is something that we have such a like today, and I'll and I'll say specifically for my generation, there is such a strange understanding of what war is. I think, yeah. Yeah. you know, um, we don't really know what that is, and yet no. we're in it. <laughs> but you know, yeah, parts yeah. of the world are in it, but it's very yeah. abstract. And I think yeah. about somebody like my grandma, who is you know on my mom's side, she. She was born in 1926, so she uh, she lived through World War II, and she had, um, I think, I think my mom told me that like she was in the south of France. She had Nazis move into her house and like occupy the first floor of the house and tell everyone to move downstairs, and like, you know, they had rations, and I mean, they, she really she lived through this crazy yeah. time yeah. this scary time where like i mean i don't know it's just so i don't know that it the album does start with these songs that are completely um imbued with a reaction to war for sure yeah. Yeah. whether hopeful or melancholy exactly And the next tune on, on the record, Il m'a venu? Il m'a venu, yes. Okay. I was close, right? You were close. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a song that was made famous by Mistingay. Yes. Right? Mistingay, yes. She's like the French Fanny Bryce kind of. Right, you know? the em- Empress of the Music Halls, right? Isn't that what they called it? <laughs> yes, her? yes. Yeah. yeah, and she would, it was like this, that be- beautiful, like, oh, damn, that's very expressive, yes. very storytelling, this, you know, in, in a in a different way, but kind of in the same vein as Edith Piaf, and they there's this yeah. kind of declarative, almost, to the German, what, Sprechstima kind of thing yes. about that. You know where they where they sing and uh, speak at the same time, and that that's what I love so much about about French music, like Edith Piaf. There are these songs of it just it reaches right into and pulls your heart out of your yeah. chest because yeah. there's this sense of longing, like and and even in in a more you know so, I don't know if you can call it sunny, but the way that uh, uh, Charles Trenet did with with La Mer, you know, yes, it's like absolutely. There's an over the rainbow quality to it, you know. Some somewhere beyond, somewhere over the rainbow, bluebirds fly. You know, not here, not in Kansas. Not here, here but somewhere not over the here. Ra- yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, getting back to the 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 idea of war and going through war, and just that you know needing that that, that sense of hope because I know my uh, my mother-in-law, Alice's mom, they she was born in in the 30s. 
And so, that you know, her childhood was affected. People lived through the occupation and and battles. And it's different. Like if, if you're an American, we never really experienced that. Only secondarily. I mean, you know, yeah. millions of Americans were killed. Of but course, it wasn't yeah. that it wasn't you weren't in it. It wasn't here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't here. And uh, that makes uh, that makes a big difference, you know. I think so. I think so. Dudu is a is it yeah. Dudu? I'll just say yes. Dudu. Dudu. Yeah. That that's an original. Yes, it is. That's an original song, a song of yeah. yours. And uh, um, um, I'm trying to, I had some notes about this, but uh, I'm gone. I'm gone. <laughs> can you well, talk can a little bit about I, Doodoo? Yeah, I, I wrote it actually for a gig uh, with Winton Marsalis in like 2016 or something. I wrote it a long time ago. He wanted um, to invite me as a guest for a gig that he was doing in Marciac. He wanted to do a sort of New Orleans meets Haiti concert because of, you know, the obvious links between uh, those two places and, and, and the music and how there was this sort of back and forth of influence between Haitian music and music from New Orleans. And so I wrote that song for that gig. Um, and it was sort of the first song that I wrote uh, with just thinking about Haiti, really thinking about Haiti and thinking about uh, these sounds that I'd hear in my dad's car when he dropped me off to school in the morning on the radio and, you know, all of this culture that I had sort of not been really thinking about or dealing with because I was just listening to and making, you know, music that was American music and uh, digging into uh, the history of American music. And, and so I thought, oh, what? what would what would that sound like if I made a song that sort of sounds like what I could hear in my dad's car or what I could hear waiting uh, in the waiting room at the dentist's office who was Haitian and what we had Haitian music on, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and we played it and then, and then it, it sort of made sense to fit it in with this album because of the storyline. There's this, this idea of like, close your eyes, you know, and I know you'll leave. Don't look at me. <laughs> I'm hideous. <laughs> uh, uh, but also, you know, also, you know, support me. If it's, it's a song that goes through all kinds of, all the different phases, I think, of a relationship where there's also this inevitability, like, of like, I know, I know you'll leave, but I'll sing, I'll sing for you when you're gone. And it's, it's, um, it's a song that kind of made sense in that moment of the story where, she tells him that, you know, this is Medusine tells her, uh, her fiance, Raymond, they're in the woods and she says, I'll marry you, but you're never allowed to see me on any Saturday ever. <laughs> the storyline, which I, I want to, yeah. you know, backtrack a minute about Melusine, which yeah. this is an actual kind of uh, uh, part of mythology, of French mythology. Yes. As well, there's, uh, there's a correlative, correlative uh, with uh, West, West African and West Indian music as well. Yes. Right? Yes. So, so it's, it's kind of the idea of uh, 
this mythical creature in a way, like yeah. a, a, what's it, Chimera? Is that that's Chimera? Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, so there's very much this that runs through a lot of different cultures. The idea. Uh, yeah transformation and transfiguration and all of that yes that that runs through a lot of different uh, cultural mythologies from a lot of different yeah. areas european and west indian the half woman half snake you know that's yeah. such a that's such a strong image that's such a beautiful and scary image i mean and she's also linked to the siren which is also this beautiful and scary kind of seductress slash monster slash goddess and uh and and also the link of the woman to the snake which is biblical you know this this woman who who talks to snakes who understands them and who you know <laughs> wreaks havoc with the snake um I, I i don't know why why do we do you know why are we so attached to this image of this woman and the snake and her being half snake like I, it's very interesting to me because it shows up, I mean, it shows up in so many different cultures all around the world. Um, it's such a strong, there's something so strong about it for us, mm -hmm. you know? It's like attraction and fear. It's yes. like, wh why, why do we go, why do we enjoy scary movies? Yeah. Because yeah. we want to get this scared out of us. And yes. we want to, there, there's something seductive about it, almost erotic yeah. about yes. it. Because it Absolutely. touches those same places, and mm -hmm. and and this mythology, you know, before the internet, clearly, uh, <laughs> yeah. is you know the way of of, of storytelling. Yes, and, I mean yeah. that's what that's what we do as musicians, whether whether we do it vocally or or instrumentally, we tell stories. I mean, and that's that's a human endeavor. That's what we do. We yeah. tell stories. And we take people to places that they either experience something they've never experienced before or experiencing something familiar in a new way. The song Aida, um, is just you. So you're playing keyboards and you're doing all the voices. Yes. And that was a very short piece, too. Yes. Super short. I mean, kind of interludes. It's sort of like little, little explorations. Um, because it's something that I want to do more of. I, I realized that um, there is another type of music that I make that has uh, that only exists in my home <laughs> and only exists when I'm recording everything and when I'm alone and no one is around me. Another kind of music uh, comes out. Uh, as soon as I go into the studio, something else happens. I mean... And, and so I thought it was interesting to have, especially with the record that talks about being in your room alone. You know, the, a lot of Melusine is about this, is this woman who has her Saturday hers. She's in her room alone, alone. She turns into her snake self, her freakish snake self. And so I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to have a couple interludes where I am doing that, <laughs> where I am completely alone. There's no, nothing performative about this. Um, it, it's really like a sketch that I would do in my, in my diary. Um, and then initially I wasn't even going to put it on the record. And I thought, no, but this is exactly what this is about. This is about this sacred sort of solitude that we all can find ourselves in. And if we're able to 
get over the obstacle of that loneliness, that initial loneliness and that initial boredom of being alone in a room by yourself, then really interesting things can come out, you know? Moving on to Melusine. Now, yeah. am I am I uh, wrong? Is there a guitar on that or is that keyboard? That's a, a layer of lute and theorbo. That is my lute teacher. Um, his name is Daniel Swenberg. Okay. And uh, he taught me lute right before the pandemic. And then I fell off and stopped playing it <laughs> entirely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I, uh, I, I thought, well, if I can't play the lute, I can at least have him play with me on a track on the album. So that's, that's him. Did Ogress come before um, yes. this record? So Ogress, do you think it was any kind of precedent for setting this record up? Probably. I mean, Ogress came before Ghost Song, too. Yeah, okay. Ogress came, Ogress was something that I wrote in 2017, 2018. Um, so a while ago. Um, and it was sort of a a way to start thinking about these mythological women, these, these monster women, these monster goddess women. Um, and, and I, I had collected, I mean, I had a, a little collection of these figures for years. I mean, for 10 years, I've had these collections of chimeras or I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce that word, but of these women that are half woman half you name the animal and um and all of these mythological creatures and these monsters these monstrouses you know um and so i i've always wanted to play with them in some way and to do something around them and it just took a long time (laughs) it's just taking a long time uh but i i I'm addicted to it a little bit now, so I don't know if there's going to be a next, a next version, a next, you know, what the next monster will be. <laughs> what I love about the story too, though, is that, and this is something that I've been noticing more and more, and I don't know, if it's like reading too much Carl Jung or something, but it's the idea that the characters and the stories are not um, separate characters that represent, I mean, they can be, and I do think of it this way that it's, you know, uh, and something that talks about gender and women and, and marriage and relationships between people. But there is another kind of reading of the story, which is what are the dynamics of these characters within yourself, right? How, who, who is the snake? monstrous snake creature that hides in yourself and who is this curious voyeur in yourself that wants to that wants to bring it to light and why are we hiding this snake creature within ourselves? you know and and what happens when we do reveal it you know this this transformation into a dragon flying out the yeah. window this freedom right this beautiful freedom yeah it's freedom exactly yeah and and getting getting in touch with some primal element in your own personality and maybe yes. it's an effort to kind of 
reintegrate a lot of these, you know, uh, yes, uh, uh, characteristics that we have. You yes. know, this kind of sense of ambivalence. You know, yin yang, yes. all of that, and the, you know, the idea of original sin being cast out of the garden and all yes. this. You know, it. You know where where do these creation myths come from? And mm. you know, the idea that the you know did did ancient people have an insight into you know the true what the nature of human being beings is really and what it's why we keep telling these stories over yeah. and over again different versions of of in in many ways the same story yes because we it's like well what if we looked at it this way what if we cast this character you know how about if i you know made them cowboys or how about if yeah. i made them yeah. you know romans yeah. or or Greeks, or you know, w w whatever it was, and it's just yeah, trying to understand why, why we are not not yes. only just who we are, but why we yeah. are. What yeah, what is our, you know, what is our function? What is our purpose? And yeah, that's an endless meditation. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think I think one of the initial things that captured my attention with this story is that it deals so much with perception with what it means like to be seen and um and this this contradiction that i feel that i have in a in huge part because you know i think as as a woman it's a contradiction that's sort of baked in which is i want to be invisible i want to be taken seriously i don't want to be looked at and i want to be desired i want to be looked at i want to be am i beautiful do you think yeah. i'm you know and this it's like care holding these two completely contradictory ideas yeah. at the same time. But I think it's also something that's, that goes beyond just the female experience or the woman's experience. And it goes also, it speaks also to the experience of being a performer, for instance, you know, I'm yeah. sure that this is something that you deal with too. Oh my God. Like, uh, I, like I want everybody to love me and to see me and everyone did that. And also no, don't look don't, at me. Don't no, look at no. God, don't that look intense, at me, you know? intense ambivalence. I mean, so I'm intense. incredibly self-conscious and incredibly yeah, shy. Me and too. the last thing I want to do is get up in front of people and be judged. Me too. And, you know <laughs> what I mean? But the, at, at, at the same time, there's this need to express whatever this inner feeling is and to tell the story of like, I have something to say to you. I have something yes. to say. And I, it's important to me and maybe yes. you'll find it important to you. Maybe it'll reveal something about, um, about you as a human being. And, yes. and, and in the course of that, maybe you'll like me a little better. It's like, you know, let's of like, course. but we have to entertain all these seemingly contradictory aspects of our personality and our being in order to exist as humans, that that uncomfortability is part of the game. I mean, sometimes I, what I always tell myself right before I walk on stage is like, well, it's too late now. Yes. <laughs> well, listen, I so much appreciate your time, and I love I, talking I, with you. It's I, so I love fun. talking with you. It's just I, I feel like so inspired, you know, to go exploring. You know, and oh, please, me too. <laughs> please, I'm I'm so looking forward to whatever it is that you do next, and I'm dying to see Ogress 
and uh, I, I hope it'll you see happen. It. It'll I know happen it will. soon. This has been As We Speak, a podcast from WBGO Studios. This episode was produced by Trevor Smith. Billy Robinson is our executive producer. And the president and CEO of WBGO is Stephen A. Williams. I'm David Sanborn.